Section 41 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letters to her son, the Marquis de Savigny. Footnote. This only son of Madame de Savigny inherited neither her genius, her virtues, nor her energy of character. She treated him always with great kindness, but was never blind to his faults. Her judicious management seems to have had a salutary effect upon him after the follies of his youth were over. He reformed in a measure and in 1684 married Jeanne-Marguerite de Brennan de Moron of a noble and rich family. This alliance was a great joy to Madame de Sévigné and it is to the illness of this beloved daughter-in-law that she alludes in the second letter. Letter 1 Paris, August the 5th, 1684 While I'm expecting your letters, I must relate to you a very amusing little history. You remember how much you regretted Mademoiselle de Dot 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 and how unfortunate you thought yourself in having missed her for a wife. Your best friends had all conspired against your happiness. Madame de Lavardin, Madame de La Fayette had done you irreparable injury. A young lady of noble birth, great beauty and ample fortune was lost to you. Surely a man must be doomed never to marry and to die like a beggar to let such an opportunity escape him when it was in his own power. The Marquis de Dash 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 was not such a fool. He has made his fortune and is settled. You must certainly have been born under an unlucky planet to miss such a match. Only observe her conduct. She is a saint, an example to all married women. You remember all this, I suppose, my dear son, and that till you married Mademoiselle de Moron, you were ready to hang yourself. You could not have done better than you have done, but now for the sequel. All those amiable qualities of her youth, which made Madame de Lafayette say she would not have her for a daughter-in-law if she could bring millions to her son, were happily directed to the service of religion. God was her lover, the only object of her affection, all her desires centred in this single passion. But as everything was in extremes with her, her poor head could not bear the excess of zeal and fervent devotion with which it was filled, and to satisfy the overflowings of her Magdalene heart, she resolved to profit by good examples, by reading the lives of the Holy Fathers of the Desert and of female penitents. She wished to become herself the heroine of such admirable histories, and full of this idea, left her house and family about a fortnight ago, and taking with her only five or six pistols and a little footboy, set out at four o'clock in the morning and, taking a post-chaise at the skirts of the town, drove to Rouen, fatigued and covered with mud. When she got there, she bargained for a passage in a ship bound for the Indies. It was there, it seems, God had called her, it was there she was to lead a life of penitence and humiliation. It was there the map had pointed out to her an abode which invited her 
to pass the rest of her days in sackcloth and ashes. It was there the Abbe Zosimus was to visit her and administer to her the last holy rites before she expired. Footnote Zosimus was a famous hermit of the 6th century who came on the eve of every Good Friday to give the sacrament to St. Mary the Egyptian in a desert cave on the banks of the River Jordan. See the lives of the fathers of the desert back to main text. Satisfied with this resolution and convinced that heaven inspired her with it, she discharged her footboy and sent him home to his own country, while she waited with great impatience the departure of the ship. Her good angel consoled her for the delay. She piously forgot husband, daughter, father and relations, exclaiming, Ça, courage, mon cœur, point de faiblesse humaine. Footnote, courage, my heart, disdain all human weakness. Back to main text. And now the moment arrived in which her prayers are heard, the happy moment that was to separate her forever from her native land. She follows the law of the gospel. She leaves all to follow Christ. In the meantime, however, her family missed her, and finding she did not return to dinner, sent to all the churches in the neighbourhood, she was not there. They supposed she would return at night. No tidings were heard of her. They now begin to be uneasy. The servants are all questioned. They can give no account of her further than that she had taken her footboy with her. She must certainly be at her country house. No. Where can she possibly be? A messenger is dispatched to the curé of Saint-Jacques-de-Aupas, and the curé says he has not had the direction of her conscience for a considerable time, for being a simple, honest man, and having observed her full of strange chimerical ideas of religion, he would have nothing to do with her. Everyone was now at a loss what to think. Two, three, four days, a week passed. Still no news of her. At length her friends thought of sending to some seaports and by mere accident found her at Rouen on the point of setting out for Dieppe and from thence to the other extremity of the globe. They secure her and bring her back, a little disconcerted at being disappointed of her journey. J'allais, j'étais, l'amour a ce mois trente d'empire. Footnote, I went, I came, impelled by mighty love. Back to main text. A lady to whom she had imparted her design revealed the whole to her family, who in despair at her folly would fain have concealed it from her husband, who happened to be absent from Paris at that time, and who would have been better pleased at an exploit of gallantry in his amiable consort than such a ridiculous expedition as this. The husband's mother came to Madame de Lavardin, and bathed in tears, related the whole story, while the latter could scarcely refrain from laughing in her face. And the next time she saw my daughter, asked her if she could forgive her for having been the instrument of preventing her brother from marrying this pretty creature. Madame de Lafayette was also in her turn informed of this tragical story, and repeated it to me with great glee. She desires me to ask if you are still angry with her. 
She maintains that no one can ever repent he did not marry a mad woman. We dare not mention a syllable of this to Mademoiselle de Grignon, her friend, footnote, sister of Count de Grignon, back to main text, who for some time past has been ruminating upon a pilgrimage, and as a preparative has lately observed a profound silence towards us all. What think you of this curious narration? Has it tired you? Are you satisfied now? Adieu, my son. Marshal de Schomberg is marching to Germany at the head of 25,000 men to hasten the Emperor's signing. The Gazette will inform you of the rest. Adieu. Footnote. This relates to the truce which was on the point of being concluded at Ratisbon and was published at Paris on the 5th of October following. Back to main text. Grignon. September the 20th, 1695. And so you are at our poor rocks, my dear children, experiencing there the sweets of tranquillity, exempt from all duties and all fatigues, and our dear little marchioness can breathe again. Good heavens, how well you described to me her situation and her extreme delicacy. I am so affected at it, and I enter so affectionately into your ideas that my heart is oppressed and tears rush into my eyes. It is to be hoped that you will only have the merit of bearing your sorrows with resignation and submission. But if God should appoint otherwise, like all unforeseen events, it would turn out differently from your expectations. I will believe, however, that this dear being will last with care as long as anyone. We have a thousand examples of recovery. Has not Mademoiselle de la Trousse suffered from almost every kind of disorder? In the meantime, my dear child, I enter into your feelings with infinite affection and from the bottom of my heart. You do me justice when you say you are afraid of affecting me too much by relating to me the state of your mind. It does indeed affect me. Be assured I feel for you keenly. I hope this letter will find you calmer and happier. Paris seems to be quite out of your thoughts on account of our marchioness. You are thinking only of Bourbon in the spring. Continue to inform me of your plans. Do not leave me in ignorance of anything that concerns you. Give me an account of the letters of the 23rd and 30th of August. There was also a note for Galois, which I desired Monsieur Branchon to pay. Give me an answer upon this subject. De good Branchon is married. He has written me a very charming letter upon the occasion. Let me know whether the match is as good as he represents it to be. The lady is related to all the Parliament and to Monsieur Daroy. Explain this to me, my child. I also addressed a letter to you for our Abbe Charrier. He will be sorry not to see you again. And Monsieur de Toulon. You express yourself well respecting this ox. It is for him to tame him and for you to stand firm where you are. Return the Abbe's letter to Campoli. With regard to your poor sister's health, it is not at all good. 
It is no longer her loss of blood that alarms us, for that is over. But she does not recover her strength. She is still so much older that you would hardly know her, because her stomach does not regain its tone, and no food seems to nourish her. This arises from the bad state of her liver, of which you know she has long complained. It is so serious an evil that I am really alarmed at it. Remedies might be used for her liver, but they are unfavourable to the loss of blood, which we are in continual apprehension may return, and which has produced a bad effect upon the afflicted part. These two maladies, which require opposite medicines, reduce her to a truly pitiable situation. Time, we hope, will repair this devastation. I sincerely wish it. And if we enjoy this blessing, we shall go to Paris with all expedition. This is the point to which we are arrived, and which must be cleared up. I will be very faithful in my communications. This languor makes us say little yet of the return of the warriors. I do not doubt, however, that the business will be concluded. Readers note that the business is the marriage of Pauline de Grignon and the Marquis de Simian, to be celebrated at the return of the Marquis who was with the army, back to the main text. It is too far advanced, but it will be without any great joy. And even if we go to Paris, they would set out two days after to avoid the air of a wedding and visits which they wish not to receive. A burnt child, etc. Readers note, a burnt child fears the fire. Madame de Savigny's expression is, a scalded cat fears cold water. Back to main text. As to Monsieur de Saint-Armand's grief, of which such a parade has been made at Paris, readers note, Madame de Grignon had arranged the marriage of her son, the Marquis de Grignon, with the daughter of the wealthy tax farmer Saint-Armand, to retrieve the ruinous financial situation of the Grignons. She had presented her daughter-in-law at court with gestures of disdain, and according to Saint-Simon, had said that it was necessary at times to add fertiliser to the land. The family of her daughter-in-law never forgave her. Back to main text. As to Monsieur Saint-Amand's grief, of which such a parade has been made at Paris, it was founded upon my daughter's having really proved, by memorandums which she has showed to us all, that she paid her son 9,000 francs out of the 10 she had promised him, and having in consequence sent him only 1,000, Monsieur de Saint-Amand said he was cheated, that they wanted to take advantage of him, and that he would give no more having already given the 15,000 francs of his daughter's portion, which he laid out at Paris in stock, and for which he has the estates that were given up to him here, and that the Marquis must seek for assistance in that quarter. You may suppose that when that quarter has paid, it may occasion some little chagrin, but it is at an end. Monsieur de Saint-Armand thought in himself that it would not be advisable to quarrel with my daughter. So he came here as gentle as a lamb, wishing for nothing but to please and to take his daughter back with him to Paris, which he has done, 
though in good truth she ought to have waited for us, but the advantage of being in the same house with her husband in that beautiful mansion of Monsieur de Saint-Amand, of being handsomely lodged, of living sumptuously at no expense, made my daughter consent without hesitation to accept all these comforts. But we did not see her depart without tears, for she is very amiable and was so much affected at bidding us adieu that it could scarcely have been supposed she was going to a life of pleasure in the midst of plenty. She had become very fond of our society. She set out with her father on the first of this month. Be assured, my son, that no Grignon intends you harm, that you are beloved by all, and that if this trifle has been a serious thing, they would have felt that you would have taken as much interest in it as you have done. Monsieur de Grignon is still at Versailles. We expect him shortly, for the sea is clear, and Admiral Russell, who is no longer to be seen, will give him leave to come here. Reader's note, Admiral Russell had taken a fleet into the Mediterranean, and for the first time a British fleet was to spend the winter there. Back to main text. I shall seek for the two little writings you mention. I rely much upon your taste. The letters to Monsieur de la Trappe are books we cannot send, though in manuscript. We shall read them at Paris, where I still hope to see you, for I love you in a much greater degree than you can love me. It is the order of nature, and I do not complain. I enclose you a letter from Madame de Chambre, which I send you entire from confidence in your prudence. You will justify yourself in things to which you well know what answer to make, and will pay no attention to those that may offend you. I have said for myself all I had to say, waiting for your answer respecting what I did not know, and I added that I would inform you of what the Duchess told me. Write to her, therefore, candidly, as having learned from me what she writes respecting you. After all, you should preserve this connection. They love you and have rendered you service. You must not wound gratitude. I have said that you owed obligations to the intendant. But to you, my child, I say, is this friendship incompatible with your ancient leagues with the first president and the attorney-general? Is it necessary that you should break with your old friends for the sake of securing an intendant? Monsieur de Pomereux did not exact such conduct. I have also said that you ought to be heard, and that it was impossible you should have neglected to congratulate the Attorney-General upon the marriage of his daughter. In short, my child, defend yourself, and tell me what you say, that I may second you. End of section 41